hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Beer Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? We are going to discuss My Bloody Valentine, 1981. Michael, what are we drinking today? We are drinking the strawberry rhubarb wheat from River Ridge Brewing in Bellevue, Iowa. Cheers. Cheers. They were so generous. They contributed this beer for the podcast. I was just back home for some stuff, and we had to drive back. But while I was back, I reached out to a number of breweries, and the Midwest love was feeling it. Nice. Beer and B movies, we got a lot of great Midwest beers coming up. This is the first one. River Ridge, they've been around a few years. They had a small facility down in Bellevue, and then they just opened this beautiful new facility right on the Mississippi River. We'll have some pictures up on our Instagram and Twitter. It's a great little spot, locally owned, good people. The beers are fantastic. How do you like this strawberry rhubarb wheat? I really like it. It is. Cheers again. Cheers. They can't cheers enough with stuff like it this. It has. It smells like strawberry. It's got a little of the tart. You can tell that there's a beautiful wheat beer as the base. And then you get a little tart from that rhubarb. You still get the sweet. Like you said, the nose. If you're blindfolded, you'd know this was strawberry. Exactly. And rhubarb is something different. I mean, we grew rhubarb out here in a backyard. But rhubarb's not something you usually find in Southern California. Maybe at Sprouts, maybe. I, you know, I didn't know, Jason, that you grew it because in the Midwest, it's everywhere. And they both ripen at the same time. So you'll harvest. So you get rhubarb crisp and strawberry rhubarb because the sweet and the sour kind of balance. So rhubarb was everywhere. I grew up, rhubarb was, you couldn't escape it. So you get a lot of these strawberry rhubarb beers. And I love it because it, it says summer to me. It's a lighter beer, easy drinking. It's not too tart. Where a hot day, you could put a few of these away. Yeah, and 4.5%. So it's not going to do you in after one. Exactly. And it's got strawberry and rhubarb, which are fruits, so it's healthy. That's <laughs> Boom. Exactly. So thank you again, River Ridge. Now that they have the new facility open, they're going to be a regular stop when I go back. It's a beautiful little spot. It's a great drive. You're heading down towards the Mississippi. It's it's great spot. Good people. Put it on your list if you're touring the Midwest. Absolutely. Thank you again. So, Jason, we both chose this. Yes. We have, and spoiler alert going forward, we're going to be doing a slasher episode, special episode on slasher movies. We wanted to have a slasher movie episode out before that special episode. So we both chose this. I have my reasons. What Were you satisfied with the choice? What do you think? Now, initially, as you recall, I wanted to move it. But after a discussion and after viewing it several times, I'm very satisfied with my choice. And I think it's distinct. The setting's very different. Quentin Tarantino listed it as one of his favorite slasher movies. So there was a couple bona fides why it came up. And also, after watching it several times, and we'll get into this later when we do our slasher episode, but it kind of follows all the major rules for a true slasher movie. I was happy with our choice. What about you, Michael? Oh, totally. I think it's a cool movie. I think it's a, there was a little more thought put into it and the writing than your average slasher movie. The shots, the camera work, the staging of it uh, was a smarter than most of your slasher movies. One of the things I like about it is I, I call it the blue collar slasher because the one area that it completely is different from just about every other slasher movie is that the most slasher movies take place in suburbia or in the square, like I call it the square community where it's middle to upper class. This is blue collar. This isn't about teens, you know, prom night. This isn't college kids getting slashed up. These are people who are out of high school and into their careers. Yeah. And that career is mining, is working in a mine. Coal mining, to be exact. It, Even though they don't mention coal mining, it's clearly coal mining. Well, I can tell by the, the faces. <laughs> yeah. They have the faces of coal miners. I think it's a cool movie. And it's we, were, we talked about this. It seems so many of the slasher movies have been talked about ad nauseum. This one wasn't the biggest hit. But it's still a good movie, and you haven't heard too much about it. Also, it's it's one that somehow the slasher movie is so fit for sequels. This did not garner a sequel. A remake in the 2000s, but it, there was no sequel to it. Yeah, I'm happy with it. The more I watched it, the more I enjoyed it. There are questions, but I have yeah. questions about a lot of Did things. you ever watch the remake? 
But no. Yeah, I'm a super not. Jensen Ackles, is, I, yeah. I love him. We follow him on Instagram. That would be the only reason I'd watch it. Although I would be curious to see how you update this because the mining thing, I don't, are they still mining? I, I, I can't remember. I mean, it was. Spoiler alert, I do, know, I do know that he's the killer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe he'll listen to this. <laughs> he, he owns a brewery. Maybe we can hit him up for some beer. I think before we dive into details, we do have to discuss that most versions that you see, like the one we're watching and the one that I saw as a kid, well, I shouldn't say kid, I saw as a late teen for my VHS store, the scenes were cut out to make the studio happy. So it doesn't appear to be a really violent movie. No, I think it was nine minutes. I believe nine minutes. And... George Mahalka. I'm gonna let you pronounce that. Is it is it Mahalka? Mahalka. Mahalka. The director George (laughs) Mahalka. Apologies. He said after that that he kept saying for years that the footage is there. It's not like they lost it. The footage, all the footage that was cut, still was existent. They did a cut in the last 20 years or so that had three minutes put back in, but none of it was the you know the violent stuff. It was mostly more character backstory. I think the when Lionsgate assumed the title and was re- releasing it on Blu-ray, I think that's as close to getting of additional scenes added. But I like the version that we're watching. Absolutely, I do. and it's, it was sort of fun to watch it and try to figure out. There's one point where we think we know that there was footage cut, but it's sort of fun to try to figure out where what did they cut, like who's deaf, what parts were cut. Because it isn't, it isn't excessively violent. I mean, even though there's a guy going around killing people, people with a pickaxe. <laughs> and there's no nudity. There are a couple things about it that you go, that is just not your typical slasher movie. Might explain why maybe it wasn't as successful as some others. Let's get the details. In the opening scene, we have two miners down in the mine. And they're in full gear with breathing apparatuses on. Two of them cord themselves off. One begins to undress, and it's a woman. Which later on, you'll hear a rule, no women in the mine, so I'm not sure how she got down there. And then she is trying to slowly undress the other miner who puts a stop to it. Yeah. And it's it's very sexually suggestive, but when you're a fully breathing apparatus miner, she's kind of stroking the... She's stroking a hose. Yes. But not the hose you would think. And there's an initial POV shot. And you see her through the miner's eyes, and slowly she undresses, and you see a heart-shaped tattoo. This seems to trigger the other miner. And by the way, there's the soundtrack is really eerie. It is. Very surreal and eerie. It adds a ton to this movie. But in this opening scene, they're in a mine, and this weird music is playing. It sets a very interesting tone. The woman is supposed to be 30, but, I mean, she looked a little bit older than that. So the heart seems to trigger something in the other miner. And he had taken his pickaxe and slammed it into a piece of wood in the wall. And so when he sees this heart, he grabs her and shoves her, spiking her on the pickaxe. And then a close-up of her mouth screaming, and that's how we get into the movie. So right off the bat, we get a murder, we get our bad guy, we also get our first question, (laughs) because why does he murder this woman? Is it the heart? Should we come back to that when we talk about the story of Harry Warden? Because there are two murders in this movie that don't make sense, because you're going to get murdered if you have a, a Valentine's Day dance. There's no Valentine's Day going on. This is just a woman he randomly murders. I think if you don't analyze it and you just stand back, this is a great opening scene. And I think, honestly, part of me thinks it was shot after they had the rest of the film realizing we have to have that hook at the beginning to bring you in. It totally does. Because as a traditional slasher, you have the slasher in a costume, which is a miner's outfit, so you don't see their face. So that mass slasher rule where it's just kind of a force of nature. You have a killing instrument that's very different, a pickaxe, and you have a POV shot right at the beginning. But you're right. This has nothing to do with the Valentine's Day dance. We know who the killer is, and it makes no sense why he killed this woman, nor in a town that we will learn that's about 3,700 plus people, this woman is killed, goes missing in the mine, and no one seems to be aware of a missing person in the town. 
Nobody shows up at the sheriff's office and goes, hey, have you seen Lydia? Lydia's been missing for a couple days, chief. And he goes, we we found a heart. (laughs) The heart of a woman. I usually like to dive into details. I'm going to refrain from a bunch of mining information that I reviewed. But I will, because I'm going to make a tiny tie to a type of beer. But... Moosehead? No. Well, we're going to mention Moosehead at one point. It's the only drink in this town. (laughs) But, um... Pliny the Elder. Oh, Pliny the Elder from Russian River. Yes. So Pliny the Elder in like the first century AD, he was recommending the use of animal bladders as a respirator for miners in Rome. So you just have to try to loosely tie. I feel like he's just pranking people, you know. It's like he's everywhere you know, back I, in ancient I, Rome. I just, yeah, I just love the idea that, that he's going. Now I got them wearing animal bladders on their faces. Look at them! What a bunch of jerks! This is a three-day movie. We are on Thursday, February twelfth. It's the end of the mining day. The boys are done with their shift. Oh, these are just good old-fashioned boys, aren't they? They leave their buddy, they ride the, the train cars out of the mine and leave Howard. Howard, who is one of the most annoying characters. Yes. Gangs usually have that one guy who's just always acting up, being stupid. Stilly, he funny. literally snorts Coca-Cola <laughs> at one point. So they're, they're coming out of the mines. It's the end of the day. We're all going to shower, grab ass and laughing storytelling in this is pretty well done because they're in this shower scene it comes up hey big valentine dance and we're gonna have this and they talk about tj tj is this guy who's there and they mention axel and sarah it's the first introduction of this triangle between tj axel and sarah sarah is tj's ex axel's dating her now so we know tj's been away he's back yeah, and that so, tension. Right, yes, immediately. Immediately it, in that shower and scene. And it's done in just a nice little way, tight little way. There's a lot of character development and depth in this movie that you don't get in the slasher. It's usually just line them up, mow them down. And we learn right off that TJ, his last name is Hanniger. His dad is the owner of this mine and mayor of the I town. Know. Yeah. <laughs> He's a double threat, yeah. not quite a triple threat. After watching this again, you know, so many years later after seeing it as a teenager, I thought, oh, TJ's going to use that to his benefit. He's going to act like I'm the owner's son. And he really doesn't. You know, because it seems like his dad won't allow it. His dad, it seems like a bootstrap guy. You know, my son is going to go down into the mine. I'm not just going to let him sit at a desk. But this is also one of the things I like about this movie is we've talked about this. I won't get too far into it because it'll be part of our slasher episode. But for this movie, your slasher movies, you know, Halloween is in the suburbs. It's in a college. It's at some camp. And to be honest, you're like a middle-class, upper-middle-class kids go to camp. This is blue collar. These guys aren't working the summer to pay for college. These are people in their early twenties, probably early college age. They're on their careers. Yeah. Their plot in life has been determined already by growing up in this small town. Yeah, so it's a different setting. And it's Thursday night. I mean, it's Thursday. It's it's not the end of the work week. But what happens if you're mining all day long, there's a montage after the shower of them all taking off, driving into town to val- the town's name, Valentine's Bluff. <laughs> yep, Valentine Bluffs, Canada. The last one to town buys a beer. There's this country music, this fast country music as they're racing into town to go to the only place you can drink in Valentine Bluffs. It's called The Cage. And it's owned by a guy named Happy. We cut to we see the mayor, the owner of the mine, Mr. Hanniger, walking with Mabel. And they're discussing, and they're walking towards the union hall. Because as a miner, most of mining is a union job. And they're walking there and they're talking how this is the first Valentine's dance in 20 years. And it has to be something special. But the mayor's like, let's play that down a little. Let's just concentrate on having fun, a good time. There's a story. And let's just say this, Jason. Mabel is responsible for organizing the dance, also decorating the town. She decorated the hell out of that town. No. <laughs> Every square inch of that town was covered. She had enough decorations for Los Angeles. Yes. And that sm- I'm serious. It was insane the amount of decorating she did. And she's the owner of the, the laundrette. Always the person I go to to run my dances. As they approach the Union Hall, this Howard character comes out with blood on his forehead. It's one of your first jump scares. It kind of scares on Mabel. But you know, therefore, that there is a story. And you learn that everybody should know the story of Harry Warden if they grew up in this town. 
The mayor does not take kindly to Howard, yeah. and nobody should. No. Howard's just an annoying attention seeker. He's that yeah. loudmouth kid. We get a little more of the Axel, Sarah, TJ Jay. thing. Yeah. Axel goes over to Sarah by a ladder. TJ's just brooding, watching them. And Axel looks over and says to Sarah, you know, do I have to do something about this? She's like, no, no, no. Now, you mentioned before when we were discussing this, who do you think TJ, the actor, looks like? TJ looks exactly like Robbie Robertson from the band. <laughs> if you go back and watch The Last Waltz, he, he looks exactly like... In fact, I thought it was Robbie Robertson. <laughs> I, re- I really did, and I had to go look at the credits because I thought... Well, and he's from Canada, yeah. and he's done some acting. And I, I had to look it up when you said that. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. He looks, he looks exactly <laughs> like... You. Even the way he says sorry. I kept saying sorry for a while after watching this enough times. The mayor comes in, he's like, and then the sheriff walks in, right? The chief walks in because he says, hey, mayor, we're late for some meeting. He was it needs- Centerville? Were they going to Centerville that time or was it East Grantville East or like Ridge a whole bunch of other towns around Valentine's Bluff? Whenever they need to do something official, they have to go to another town. Yes. Nothing happens in Valentine's <laughs> Bluffs. And so before they depart, I believe, I think it might even be Howard, says, oh, mayor, this was uh, left for you. A heart-shaped candy box. Heart-shaped candy box. Which, watching it, I kept, after seeing it, I watched that over and over to see if the certain person brought it in. Like, I kept trying to see if if they gave us a tell that, oh, if you watch closely, you see it being set there. No. No. It's just there. And so, you know, the the mayor's thinking, you know, as they're going to Centerville or wherever they're going, oh, the only thing I like more than Christmas candy (laughs) is Valentine's candy. (laughs) And I do like how... He doesn't open up all the way. The first thing he does, he opens up the card. And there is a poem. From heart comes a warning filled with bloody good cheer. Remember what happened as the 14th draws near. So what I love is when he opens and there's there's a heart. Horrifying. The mayor goes into these histrionics where he's like, no, no. I mean, it really is some grade A overacting. It's brilliant. So, you know, they find a heart and the chief. He just ah, hangs at Yui right there. Yeah, he's like, got his, back to he's town. got his pipe and he goes, I got to get back there. The chief is played by a voice character musician. I actually listened to some of the stuff on YouTube named Don Franks. He passed away at 2016. You have the first person ever to do the voice to Boba Fett. So Don Franks voiced Boba Fett in that late 70s Star Wars holiday special. Oh my goodness. And then he was Dr. Claw's voice in Inspector Gadget. He did the voice of Sabretooth in the X-Men cartoon in the 90s. He was a major voice actor. Both his kids are actors. I think his daughter is a voice actor. And his son was just on that Netflix series the Umbrella Academy, as I, oh. I think one of the detectives and everything like that. We'll link out to his music on YouTube. If we can find it. We might even link out to that Star Wars holiday special. There we go. And, we get and, Boba Fett. <laughs> We're at the cage. It's the only bar in town. The only thing people drink in this town is Moosehead. Probably saves happy a lot of money on spirits. He just All he has to do is keep Moosehead stocked. There's even a Moosehead sign behind the bar. And they're all hanging out and playing like the shuffleboard. Like, I've played shuffleboard. They must play it differently in Canada because every time someone's playing shuffleboard, they're just firing the little disc. And to me, it's it's like a touch. It was yes. always about a light touch, and you're trying to knock things around. But people are just just yeah. shoot like kids. If you found little kids playing shuffleboard, you go, "That's not how you play. You're gonna hurt somebody." All the gang, they're done with work, and it's Thursday, so we're thirsty Thursday in Valentine Bluff. Now I remember when I was younger in my first job in my twenties. Thursday did begin the weekend, and we would typically go for drinks on Thursday. Absolutely. And Friday. <laughs> but these people seem like they're cutting it loose. Well, I think it, they're it, doing it every day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should move to Valentine Bluffs. It's the acceptable behavior. Happy, he's just at the bar being ornery. There's an odd sailor-looking fella stand, standing at the bar listening to him. Popeye's dad. Popeye's dad, exactly. And Happy's going on about what happened 20 years ago. This town's cursed, and you kids are stupid, and there should be no dance. But everybody's sort of poo-pooing him. He's the drunk, angry old man. 
it's a one bar town. Your only choice is to go to the cage where Happy is the bartender. He does not seem like a happy-go-lucky bartender. I don't think that would be enjoyable. He clearly, at one point, you realize he does not like these young people. And he's really trying to install this mythology and what happened. And we do get the flashback. Because for a movie, we personally need to see it. I don't think he needs to recollect this to anyone. Because everybody growing up in Valentine's Bluff would know this story. I thought about this because you mentioned that it is Valentine's Day. It is the anniversary of what happened. Also, they're going to be doing the dance, which they haven't done in 20 years. So in that way, it sort of might make a little sense that he would be bringing it up again, saying, hey, this happened. Also, the kids, they're all laughing, calling it a fairy tale or whatever. This happened 20 years ago, which would have been 1960. I mean, you know that the murders happen. You know that there was a cave-in at the yeah. mine. The idea that this Harry Warden comes back every year, maybe, is like the fairy tale. But this is something you can easily prove that, yes, 20 years ago, a bunch of miners got trapped, one of them lived, and then he went crazy and well, killed people. I would assume that all these men, their fathers worked in that mine. And every yeah. single one of their dads was able to tell them the story. Briefly, back 20 years ago, 1960, they've had that dance for 100 years. There were seven people still in the mine. The two supervisors decide to leave early, hightail it, to get some drink on at the union hall. And Jason, it's great because in the flashback, the guys are just, the two supervisors just standing there laughing. Yes. They're going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and they leave, which I just, it's a hilarious moment. And so there's a cave-in and the five other miners are caught down there, buried, and it took six weeks to dig down them. Happy was one of them. He was the one who found him. He found when they got down there, there was only one survivor, Harry Warden. And he survived by doing what? Eating the other guys. <laughs> I still have to say six weeks. If it was six days, but six, yes. that's a month and a half. Yeah. I was going to start deep diving into cave-ins and how long people survive. I mean, because where's his water source? I mean, <laughs> the suspension of disbelief, really. Yeah. But so Happy's telling the story that Harry Warden was the one guy, and he's like, they they do a quick shot of a guy holding an arm that he's chewing yeah. on, and he, he just looks up, and he's insane, and he's screaming. So they lock him in a hospital for a year, and he gets out, and he comes back to town, and he kills yep. the two safety guys who had abandoned their posts. And so they locked him up. Yep. And that's where he's been. And well, Happy says that every year on, Hol on Valentine's Day, he uh, comes back with his bloody pickaxe to make sure nobody's having a good exactly. time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Happy is, he just kills the vibe at the bar. And he's your only bartender, you know, your you know, only choice. I mean, it's like, like, man, let's go to that town and open a cool bar. <laughs> exactly. there's, there's a market for it because this guy can be a jerk because he can be a jerk. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, where else are you going to go? It's like, I can drink at home. Where else can you buy your Moosehead beer, which is the only beer in this movie? It's the only drink. Like, nobody has cocktails. Nobody has a cocktail glass. Man, woman, everybody is drinking bottles or cans of Moosehead. It's one of the oldest breweries in Canada. I think it was started in 1867. I still think it's one of the only family-owned remaining in Canada. So I remember when I was a kid, Moosehead was fancy beer. When you're a kid, you're just scrounging to get whatever you could. And if somebody was like making a bet, and you're like, you're going to buy me beer, they go, oh, you're going to buy me Moosehead because it was expensive. And you're just looking for mass quantities yeah. of something like old Milwaukee yeah. or Milwaukee's best. PBR. PBR, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, Moosehead and Happy is just ruining everyone's time. So did you notice the game that Axel is playing with Hollis? Yes, I know a couple names for it. The reason I know this name, it comes from the Alien movie. It was called Bishop. Aliens. Yeah. You know, someone should write a paper on this knife game because there is not a lot of information on this five-finger fillet game or the game of nerve that you see, but it's Axel and Hollis. And it does turn out that Axel is the miner. I think it's a point we start needing to discuss where I find it very hard for him to be the miner. It, well, it's impossible. The whole time, I thought Harry Warden was back. As all these people were being murdered, I thought, oh, Harry Warden, we got a Michael Myers situation. Harry Warden escaped. He found out there's going to be a dance. Comes back. He's killing people. We find out at the end, they reveal it's Axel. And after that, I kept watching and trying to figure out, okay, where is he? What is he doing? It's impossible for him to have done this without help. It'd have to be yep. a scream situation because he's got to be like two places at once. And he's got, unless this town is contained in like a one block area, <laughs> including a coal mine, you know, it's impossible for him to do that. 
Sarah gets up to go play some music at the jukebox, and TJ is just sitting there being a brat, playing the shuffleboard, and yeah. he is, again, just yeah. firing these discs along. And she starts talking to him about, this is your fault. And he's being all bratty about it. So she basically tells him, you know, that this is how things are. And he goes, you know, I just don't like how things are. Just a jerk and walks away. TJ is quote unquote the hero, but he's a terribly unlikable hero. You don't root for this guy because he is, he's just a jerk. Just a selfish, selfish person. I think he's characterized that way because you might think for a long time that TJ might be the minor. We've talked about this. First time watching it, going back, because I didn't remember. I didn't remember a darn thing about this movie. I saw it as a kid a long time ago, and I didn't remember who the killer was, didn't remember anything. I thought it was Harry Warden, but you didn't, correct? I didn't. I thought that was going to be a red herring. I assumed it was someone else, and at first I thought it was TJ. I also thought it was the chief of police for a while, because both those characters act really suspiciously in this movie and in fact tj you don't know what happened to him you just know he was gone when he returns to hollywood yeah to hollywood out (laughs) west (laughs) and now that he's back there's one thing i'll say about the mayor he owns the mine and tj went out west went out to the west coast i'm assuming to be an actor yeah i'm guessing and he said things really bad and i I went wow things when things go bad in hollywood they can get really bad so he doesn't get into detail and i'm like i'm like are there a couple of movies out there you don't want him to know about so but the mayor for his credit he at one point he says i didn't tell him to go out there now that he's back he's working in the mines he did not give his son this cushy job but at the same time tj acts like a spoiled brat because when he comes back he literally wants everything to go back to the way it was so we cut and the mayor and the chief are chief at, at Centerville at the police department. At the they, corners. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, they're at the corners office. And there's like a brain in a jar up in the corner. <laughs> that was an odd set piece. I know. And then the coroner walks in. He's, he's got my stainless steel mixing bowl. Like the stainless steel mixing bowl everyone has. He walks in with a heart. <laughs> And then the thing, and he's just like, how did you describe it? He just manhandling <laughs> that heart in the bowl, like squeezing it like it's a squishy toy or something. Yes, and in this short, short amount of time, he, he goes, well, it's a heart. It's a woman's heart. They figure that out quick. And he said, who took this out? It's a, a butcher. So at that point, I thought maybe the butcher was the killer. So, <laughs> although I would say it's sort of an insult because a butcher would probably be able to take a, a proper butcher, yeah. would be able to cut a heart out much better because they make it. Sound like it was really bad. And then, even though the corner is in Centerville, he says, "Looks like Harry Warren's back in town." Yeah, yeah, because because the mayor's all worried about this, and we don't know where he is. And this is great because they're they're like, we don't know where Harry Warden is. This is a guy who went insane, ate people in a mine, yeah. came back and murdered two dudes, and the, and and nobody knows where he is. Nobody's even heard of him. The people in the system where he's supposed to be or go, I don't know anything about him. Yeah, because the chief is on the phone in this scene yeah. with the mental hospital, and he gets off the phone, and he's like, you know what? It's just a nurse on duty, and the administrative office is closed, and they can't give me information. And I'm thinking, if you are the chief of police, and you can't get the information, you should have other officers. Send someone down. They play phone tag with the administrative office this mental health. I mean, Way too much. Everything about Way it. Too much. Everything about it, Jason. It's 1980. <laughs> yeah. And yes, nowadays, you know, the computers, have, have, we've got so much yeah. information at our fingertips. But even in 1980, if you were to go to a, call a hospital and say, yeah, the guy that you had... The guy who ate people. Murder, <laughs> ate people and murdered people, and they just go, I kind of slipped through the cracks. That's not even plausible. Or it's a night nurse and say, I don't know what to do. There's not a roster of a every file? room yeah. like with what a patient's in. Like, go and look in that room. Just anything. No. And no, the chief it, just, and like, they, throws up his hands like, I don't know what we're going to do. It, like, clearly I can't. I can drive to Centerville, but I can't drive to the mental I health hospital. And it gets to the point where the woman he's dealing with gets really ornery <laughs> with him. Just, you know, kind of stop bothering me about this. Is cannibal murderer. Jeez, the guy's either he's here or he's not or he's on the slab. We're a professional. Do your job. It's the chief and mayor, and the coroner says this is a 30-year-old woman's heart. So this is the heart from the woman in the opening scene. They don't even bat an eye like, oh, that's so-and-so. We've been looking for her for a while. They're like, huh, chalk that up as another missing person that we'll have to look at after we take care of this Valentine's Day dance. They don't care about whose heart it is or finding the victims. They just freak out and try to cover up the fact they think Harry Warden's back in town. They just go, oh no, the dance. Yeah. <laughs> They're like worried about the da- the dance might have to be canceled. Not, 
holy crap, a 30-year-old woman had her heart ripped out. Where's the body? It's just, boy, we got to make sure nobody talks about Harry, Harry Warden. Warden. We, I do want to talk about this strawberry rhubarb wheat. How's that segue, huh? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been on live television back in the 50s. How many days were you guys out there? We were there for... Just over a week, we had to drive back to rent a cargo van to bring stuff back. What made it really great was that I was able to bring a lot more beer. Usually, I'm putting it on a checked bag, and you have a very limited space. Excellent. And we were able to stop in Denver, Colorado, and I visited Great Divide, which was up on our Instagram. It was a big moment for me, the home of the Yeti, one of my favorite beers. Yeah, we were down there, and we just got touring around. We stopped at these great little spots, and my buddy, he knows some of the owners of River Ridge. I had been back earlier this year, and the new facility wasn't open, so I wasn't able to get their stuff. So this time it worked out great because it was like beautiful July. The fish flies were gone, which they're on the Mississippi, and they're really not nasty. Visited it, and it's a beautiful. Again, I'll put the pictures up. I showed you the pictures. Yeah, and you got to take a tour, didn't you? They gave us a, a tour. Excellent. It's a you know, it's a really beautiful facility. They used an old old buildings. It was a cool spot, and they had it when we the day we went, we walked in, and they had a happy problem because they had sold out all their canned beer. And at first, I was really crestfallen. I was trying some stuff, and I said, "You got no canned beer." But they ended up they found this strawberry rhubarb. Which, uh, what a great find. Yeah, this thank is, you so much. Cheers again. Cheers I, again. I think this is such a tasty beer. Oh, it is. You know, to have rhubarb, mm. I mean, it's such a good taste. And it's not an artificial taste. Like, this is, it reminds me of fresh strawberries. Totally. Fresh. When we grew that rhubarb, we'd break it off. And you could bite down. You could get that tart rhubarb oh. taste. It's delicious. This is what That's what it reminds me of. It, and it's hot in San Gabriel Valley today. It is a warm day. And this is a great warm day beer that used to be sort of like a little dare when we were kids is can you eat an entire stock of rhubarb because it does like thinking about it makes my mouth water because when you bite into it it is so tart it's unbelievable it's like a giant tougher version of a sweet celery stock yeah it looks it does it looks like celery but the two flavors go well together and put it in a beer have this and a slice of strawberry rhubarb pie at the same time i'm see i'm i like pies crisps i'm a huge fan of so you get there we actually know somebody she would make just rhubarb crisp and it was delicious so yeah you have this and a slice of that the little vanilla ice cream on top your day is set thank you again river ridge yeah thank you so much this is fantastic yeah i will be back and don't be surprised if i bring more of their beer back (laughs) you know because that, that I'd was be it. happy. That, that, <laughs> I, I, like I said, they had some great stuff. If they had more cans, I'm like, I would have been, I, we had the room, yeah. you know? It's like, there is no shortage of room in the van for beer, and I brought a lot back. And these were just one of, one of the breweries that was super generous, great people. They gave us the tour. The new facilities, fantastic. Like I said, you saw the pictures. Yeah. You're just sitting there on the Mississippi looking across the river. Great stuff. Really, yeah, it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful little community just south of Dubuque, where I'm from. So we get our second murder. Mabel, who owns the laundronette. Am I pronouncing? Like, it says laundronette. Is it laundrette? Laundrette. So Mabel's laundrette. I would use the term laundromat, but I don't think that's what's on her marquee. I think it says Madame Mabel's... Laundrette? Laundrette. It's It's a laundromat. It's a laundromat. She's in there. This has your classic slasher, where it's the POV of the minor. She's inside the laundromat doing some final organizing of the Valentine's Day party. The miner walks in and puts a Valentine's Day gift down and then hides. And it's all through that point of view shot. And she thinks someone has left her. And no doubt she thinks the chief left something for her. She opens a card. Everybody opens a card first. In this house, it's really hard if we get a box of seeds candy, they rip off the top. <laughs> it's right into the candy. She opens a card. Roses are red, violets are blue, one is dead, so are you. (laughs) And the miner kills Mabel. Okay, Jason. Mabel makes sense because Harry Warden said, hey, no more dances on Valentine's Day or I'll kill all of you. (laughs) Pretty clear orders. Mabel plans the dance, decorates the town. She is up to her elbows in the whole thing. So, of course, you got to kill her. After that, we're at the end of a Thursday night. You go to the Union Hall... You get a little bit of drink on, you go to the cage and listen to Happy's, you know, nonsense, you get a little more drink on, and then where do you go, Michael? You go to the junkyard. And also there are a couple of subtle references, I believe, to marijuana. 
because they get the munchies. They mention yeah. the munchies a couple times, <laughs> but you don't ever see the people smoking yeah. because these guys are, are doing the old school, like cooking food on the engine block of a car. They're just joking around, busting each other's chops about cooking this food. And Axel is kind of off by himself playing a harmonica. Yeah. And so we get a little more backstory yeah. between him and TJ because TJ shows up. And I love this. This is, again, very telling of TJ's character to me. Because he says to Axel, I guess we got a problem. To Axel's credit, he says, I'm not backing down from yeah. you. I'm not going to step back. You left. You abandoned her. What kind of person just does that? Selfishly goes off, never keeps in touch with people, comes back and just says, hey, everybody, reset because I'm back and I want everything to be like I want it to be. Like these guys have a relationship that I, goes I think back. they were probably friends because yeah. because TJ joins him in a harmonica duet because apparently everybody who's a minor also carries around harmonica. <laughs> they do, and it's a, it's a nice little like like duet yeah. on the harmonica. And it shows that they were friends. It was an easy way to buddies. show that they were you, friends. It's that they clear could, these two like young, good-looking past. dudes, yeah. cool dudes yeah. in that town. Like they were probably grew up best yeah. buds. And he shares his booze with Axel. They share a bottle. And then he basically says, you know, she, you know she wants me. Yeah. Which is, again, just yeah. this absolutely yeah. jerky behavior. And, of course, it ends up almost getting into some fisticuffs. That's when Hollis jumps in. Hollis yeah. is sort of the big brother of yes. the group. He's a heavy set dude with a big mustache. Walrus mustache. Yep. And everybody kind of seems to defer to him a bit. Yeah. And, and he's the guy. Mining is a noble profession. I thought Hollis seemed like a guy who would have gone on to college if he could the actor who plays axel neil affleck he's somewhat also famous for being an animator and he worked on the simpsons then the actor who played tj paul kelman 2021 was the 40th anniversary of this movie and of course it took place during covid so people couldn't get together we'll link out to in our show notes but last night i came across this and i couldn't watch the entirety of it but they had everybody on a Zoom meeting who was there discussing this movie. And it's interesting to see how people progress through their acting career. Paul Kelman, who played TJ, really didn't make a lot of movies after this. Him, the actor who played Hollis, and the actor who played Howard were all in a movie that was done at the same time called Gas, another Canadian oh, yeah. teen was comedy it, was it movie. Gas? Yeah. Yes. You know, he kind of moved on outside of acting and... <laughs> I don't think we brought it up, but this they actually shoot in a mine. This film, it is not a set. It, they did a bang-up job. It, the atmosphere, they did a great job shooting in this mine. It was a pain in the butt because you don't just you know have a bunch of stuff there. You have to take everything up and down in this little elevator. So it would take hours to like get the crew down because you'd have to go up and down and up and down. To be honest, it might be kind of scary, like yeah. sitting down there for hours waiting for everyone to get there. But they did a great job. And apparently, when they were going to shoot there, the people in the town, they went in and cleaned the mine up. They cleaned it so well that when they showed up, they had to re-dirty the mine. They said it, it didn't look believable. We needed to like dirty it up because they cleaned it so well. The location shot added to the kind of creepiness of this. And it's located in Nova Scotia. The name escapes me. We'll link out to it in our show notes. TJ, after the fight, he's talking to Hollis, and, and he has this line. Remember back in the day, we used to tear this place up, get drunk, race out to the bluffs. I don't want to laugh because, I mean, drunk, drunk driving isn't cool. But, I mean, there is just something comical in that idea. Of like, And Hollis basically says, things change. And this is where a point where I'm thinking, like, TJ might be the minor. Mabel's death came right before the scene. How did Axel get out to the junkyard, sit in a car, and play the harmonic like as if he's been there for a while, but then TJ shows up? That's a fair point. That's a fair point, Bert. So it that closes Thursday night, and now we're on to Friday, the 13th. Isn't the sheriff on the phone with the he's lady? Trying to call again. <laughs> he calls this lady who has zero time for this. Yeah. Again, we're talking about a cannibal. Well, murderer Murder. who's been locked up since 1960 yeah. could it send an officer on thursday why didn't he send an officer after this call he's just like eh we'll just have to resolve it through the phone lines eventually maybe i'll write a harshly worded letter i don't even think he tells the lady we have a murder that matches the mo of this guy who's supposed to be locked up he doesn't mention that because he's trying difference. to keep everything secret that woman was just cracked me up the idea of these professionals <laughs> just not wanting to do their job no. Friday the 13th came out in 1980. And so do you think they 
purposely tried to line this up. Of course, it's another one of these slasher tropes where you choose a holiday and there hadn't been one for Valentine's Day. We had Halloween, Friday 13th, prom night already. Prom night already. Black Christmas. Black Christmas. So, but it, also when I saw Friday 13th, I'm like, oh, unlucky number 13 and unlucky Friday. Yeah, I, so I think it's somewhat coincidence. Kind of nice to think that they were making a nod to no. Friday the 13th. Yeah. And then we get to the chief deciding to go and visit Mabel. And he walks into that laundromat, and there's an odd smell. He does. He's walking around doing the smell face. Something smells funny. Doesn't he smell his cigar or pipe? Or like, <laughs> and I do like they give him a different pipe every day. Yeah, and I wanted him to do an armpit. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's opening a dryer and some clothes fall yeah. out. And then he opens a dryer and Mabel falls yeah. out. And her face is all burnt. From the dryer. Which I don't know if that actually happened. I could see a little redness. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Like, my clothes don't burn yeah. when, they, <laughs> when I put them in a dryer. So, but I mean, you have to have some sort yes, of gore. Exactly. You got to give the special effects guy yes. a couple of bones in these movies. Absolutely. You know, this guy's trying to be like, I want to be the next Tom Savini. Yeah. So, this just kicks it into overdrive that we've got a problem. Yeah. And he actually finds a note in her chest. The chest cavity. It says, it happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dance or it will happen thrice. <laughs> I love the post. Oh, yes, yes. I'm thinking of the miner sitting there going with the pen in his mouth like, what? What rhymes? How can I make this sound more dastardly? <laughs> I'm so glad you wrote them down because I realized, I realized when we showed up today, I went, I didn't write any of the poems down. I bet Jason did. It was a funky part. Did they really need to actually read each all of I mean, they just have to react that there's a heart there. The miner also had to be like he wanted to work for Hallmark and write cards for them at some point in time. <laughs> well, what's great is the, the chief has these awesome faces. When he's reaching in to pluck out, you say, ooh, what's that? Ooh, taking it out of the chest cavity. <laughs> and now the mayor is on the scene and the chief, once again, he's trying to hide stuff. He tells the ambulance, pull him back if anybody should ask. She died of a heart attack. Why is he trying to keep the secret? Does he know as a minor his a typical slasher trope, his deformed child that he's hidden somewhere in his cellar who's coming out? Why is he so convinced he has to keep this hidden from people? Jason, I didn't get it because you're putting more people in danger by doing that. He says at one point, if it gets out that Harry Warden's back, there'll be a this, panic. This <laughs> this town won't be worth the powder it would take to blow it up. And I'm thinking, what are you selling, bro? Yeah. You're, you're a mining town. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Amity and Jaws yeah. where you go, and nobody's going to come swim. What does this Valentine Bluffs have going for it? Not the cage. No, exactly. People aren't coming from around the world to go drink Moosehead and get you know yelled at by Happy. And then the mayor says, we have to cancel this dance. The chief... He's shutting down the union thing. This is very curious because all these kids come up to him and he's using Mabel's heart attack death, quote unquote, as an excuse to stop the dance. Dave and Tommy, two of the miners, are there and they're dressed in their mining gear with the dirty faces, (laughs) which I thought was really odd because one thing we noticed was like whenever they leave the mine, first thing they do is they take a shower and get out. Down in the mine and and all of a sudden they catch wind that, hey, the sheriff is going to stop the dance. And they're like, oh, we better get... So they show up with these these young ladies and the sheriff says, no, we out of respect for Mabel, we should not have this dance. I think Mabel would have wanted to have the dance. Exactly. She put all this work into it. It's actually a good point. We're not going to have the thing Mabel worked her body. If she really died of a heart attack, she probably died of a heart attack pre- preparing for yeah. the dance. This is something she wanted to do. TJ's showered, dressed, and goes, and he basically kidnaps Sarah. He's smiling, and he thinks he's being all cute. Just see him pushing her out of a store, and she's saying, dude, leave me alone, leave me alone, and he won't take no for an answer. After watching it many times, I just went, that is not cool. But at the same time, when I've watched several times, I'm thinking at first, I'm like, man, that's like, then I'm watching. Sarah's like, please, please don't do this, please, please. But she's putting up no fight whatsoever. I think after this scene, she's made her decision. Where do they go? They go to a place that they've been, like, out by some water. He takes her out to a remote area, and he goes, remember this place? And she goes, yeah, of course. I don't know if they messed around out there or something. Right there, she says, you never called. You never wrote. You just disappeared, and you left me. What did you think I was supposed to do? TJ thought he left, time stopped. And when he came back and realized it didn't stop, yeah, he threw a fit. Then you find out, he says, you know what, I'm sorry. He said, I went there, I couldn't call you, he said, because I fell on my ass, big time. 
And I made so many mistakes out there, which again, all I kept doing was thinking, like I kept thinking of like boogie nights where like when things start going downhill for you in Hollywood, like they go downhill. (laughs) He does kind of win her back in that moment, but she's torn. If I had been her friend or something, I would have said, Axel does end up being a psychotic murderer. (laughs) I, I would have said, maybe explore the other parts of this town, the other people. Because TJ, I just find it so selfish, the way he behaved. I think that if TJ had made it in Hollywood, he would have never, ever come back to town. No one of ever would have heard him. If some of these people had shown up to Hollywood, he would have been like, uh, maybe I, if we could get them some tickets to a screening or something like that. That's a great point, because there is nothing in my mind that makes me think if he had been a success, he would have called up Sarah and said, hey, move out here with me. Absolutely. He was leaving that town in the yep. rearview mirror. And so Sarah's <laughs> walking the dark streets of Valentine Bluffs. And she's talking to herself, and she's saying, how am I going to tell Axel? So she's kind of made her decision, and you think the miner is right there. And it turns out to be the cheap. It's a cheap jump scare. It got me. And she asks him, is something to matter? And he lies. He once again lies. He's keeping so many circuits. like, nope, just doing my nightly patrol. <laughs> Which I love. And he says, I didn't mean to start you. And I go, you creeped up on her. <laughs> exactly. You didn't announce yourself. You just creeped up on her. first time watching i kind of thought oh this is interesting because sarah is our main female character and i thought oh you kill her off that's kind of a neat twist she's not going to be the final girl i guess happy is spreading the good vibes and i gotta say he's right because everyone thinks mabel died of a heart attack and he's saying that's a bunch bs I might actually say that. Just angry and he's saying she didn't die of a heart attack it's just as i said tj announces he's like hey we could have the party at the mine. My dad's mine. My dad's mine. That's yep. typical small town rich yep. kid behavior. And so they all take <laughs> off and Happy refers to the kids as a bunch of a-holes. He, does, he drops a-hole <laughs> twice exactly. on them. You a-hole. And it's just hilarious. It's a close-up of the angry old man calling these kids. This is where I I believe Happy was a minor and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, he's not the minor. Again, I always thought it was Harry yeah. Warden because it's impossible for any of these other people to do sure. it. This is, comes to our second murder, the second murder that doesn't make sense. Within the context of why people are getting killed, Happy's murder doesn't make sense because Happy goes out, he wants to play a prank, goes out to the old mine to set this little rig up that looks like a miner with a pickaxe. He's going to Scooby-Doo him. He's totally going to Scooby-Doo <laughs> the situation. You open a door in this miner's suit and there's a pickaxe flying and he's laughing. He's laughing. Because like, he's drunk. Oh my. He is a bard. He's like hard <laughs> he's, liquor. <laughs> he's, that's the only time. He's, he's, he's a hard liquor. He's, he's like, like Yeah, he's not drinking Moosehead. So... Well, he goes out to, to, to do this prank, and he's so, so excited. He's like a little, again, childlike behavior. Like, you get a little baby or something, you get them laughing, and they just want to laugh and laugh and laugh. And he just thinks this is the funniest damn thing. So he keeps opening the door and laughing more and more. And then he opens the door, and the pick doesn't come up, and he closes it. And then he walks away. If he had kept walking, yeah. he might still be alive. True. Maybe. But he stops and he does that. What? That didn't work the way it's supposed to. So he goes back and opens the door. Whoop. Pickaxe to the gut. Miner's there. Game over. But it doesn't make sense to me because the idea is, hey, if you're having a party, if you're having a good time, if you're having a dance, Harry Warden's going to kill you. Happy's trying to stop them. Yeah. So it's he's working with... He's the prophet for Harry Warden. He's yes. saying, listen he's, to what Harry Warden has to, to say. It. So it's like you go, hey, thanks, because you know I don't have to kill these kids because you stopped the party. Yeah. So in a way, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so that ends Friday night. So now we're on Saturday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Speaking of Valentine's, the it's a nice reddish hue in the strawberry rhubarb wheat. It is. And they're can. It's just, it looks like, I would say, sunset over the Mississippi. Right. Actually, that would be a great t-shirt. I know they have some, but, you know, I have no problem with a low ABV. And not everything needs to be a 12% barley wine. Exactly. It's like sometimes you want to kick back, especially on a hot, sunny day. Yes. If we were sitting outside and not in a small room close to each other, <laughs> you know, it's getting a little toasty up here. But, uh, yeah, again, I can't say it enough. You know, you're sitting outside in the shade of a tree. And for me, I think of certain places in the Midwest where you're just looking out across the country, just fields and stuff, and you're just sipping on this fantastic yeah i i could have a lot of these river ridge brewing bellevue iowa thank you again guys yes thank you so much you will see me again (laughs) 
So we go to the mine to party because it yes. has everything. The selling point is they've got everything we need. A pool Dude. table. It's got a kitchen. They can make some hot dogs, rust and, up some grub. And here's my question. Are they, they're not down in the mine. No, they're this in is, the lunchroom. This, this is up above yeah. on the top. I think it's the breaker lunchroom. In fact, I think Happy, the entrance that he's sticking the miner on, it says lunch entrance. But the chief, he has to stop by the station. One of the officers is like, oh, this came for you. And he is really hesitant when he sees his Valentine's Day box. Oh. And he sends that officer once again to try to hide things, to go and get him a coffee. You can't even tell your other officers. I know. Like, it's, why? It makes, that makes That's no why sense. I'm thinking, oh, he knows something. I think he's either trying to protect the murderer or he has like a mutant kid who's the murderer. So <laughs> he's protecting the mutant yeah, exactly. kid that's the murderer. And so why the officer goes and gets coffee, he opens it up. And it's sad because it's from Mabel. And this whole little underlying relationship they thought they had, you realize that that was true but the chief hears some barking when he heads outside which is hilarious so <laughs> and i will say just again that little moment that kind of writing that you don't get in your average slasher exactly. movie you see some character development yep. and depth there's not a lot yep. of choices in valentine bluffs <laughs> and he kind of had a romance possibility apparently a pack of feral dogs yeah. that just runs amok in the city at nighttime. <laughs> so he goes out and there's a bloody box of candy and the dog of course being dogs yeah. they're gonna want to be around that of course then the other cop comes out I think at that point you gotta say buddy yeah. we got a problem. i mean it's a bloody mess we're, we're finding the, hearts all yeah. over i've been keeping something from you yeah. this is there's hearts yeah. that without bodies and there's a note and this time it's not a poem because i think at this point the Meyer's like i can't i don't have it in me my rhyming scheme is dead it just says you didn't stop the party yes so that's it yes that, but i'll tell you if i was the sheriff i go whoa he stopped writing poems yeah he's off his rocker exactly really bad now and it's also the last note from this point on He's just straight up killing people, tearing their hearts out. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Just killing them. Because the kids are all at the mine. Like you said, they're all at the mine now. It's been a slow crawl. We've had the initial woman at the beginning. We've had Mabel. And we've had Happy. And now starts increasing really fast. Because the kids are all in this lunchroom. There's a kitchen where they're boiling hot dogs. And we have Dave. He walks in the kitchen and the miner's there and shoves his head into the hot dog. And it's the second <laughs> reference. Dave yeah. goes, I've got the munchies. Yeah. And he walks in, and there's just like, I've just never really got the, the steaming pot of hot, hot dogs. dogs. Hot dog and, and, water. And yeah, he's all excited about that. And i got to be honest, that's just an awful way to go. Yeah. Having your death by hot dog water face shoved into simmering water. It's like, <laughs> They're right outside the door, and people keep walking in and out of the kitchen. The miner just uses that time. Once again, it goes back to, we know Axel's this psychopathic miner. How? How does he switch into his miner gear? This is where it's really difficult for me to think, how is he moving around so fast? It defies logic and belief that Axel, because we go to Axel and he's drunk and he's being rude to Sarah. That's when everything comes to a head. TJ, of course, being a jerk, he's like on the side being, making snide comments. And then he inserts himself in the situation. I kind of like it because a fight breaks out and Axel hands him his lunch money. I mean, just kicks his butt, just knocks him, smacks him around. Hollis jumps in, big brother breaks it up. Axel makes a comment, you know, you're out of shape, TJ. Yeah. TJ's rocking an ascot, yeah. by the way. He is, it's one thing he must have brought back from the West Coast. So Axel, he leaves, grabs a beer. Has, on the way out, there's a beer just sitting yeah. on like a pinball machine. There's beers everywhere. So he just grabs one, he leaves, he's all angry. And John and Sylvia have snuck off. They're this couple. They're going to go into the mine where the uniforms are. It's a really cool scene because these... Apparently the uniforms are hung high against the ceiling and you pull a rope and your uniform will pop down. Well, I think, you know, you hang your uniform up and you spray it down to get all the cold dust and everything like that. Yeah. And then you hoist it up to dry it out. And it's not the kind of place I would go, let's go get romantic. So, yeah. of course, they're sitting there, they're messing around. And she goes, hey, we need something. And he pulls out. He goes, oh, I, I have it. I, I got a condom. And she's like, no, beers. Yeah. <laughs> we got us some beers. So, so he goes and gets beers. And this leads to her death because she starts hearing something, the showers turn on, and then all of a sudden the suits start dropping, sort of moving her, pushing her into a certain area because suddenly Hap's body falls out and she's terrified. So the miner grabs her, picks her up by her head, so he's pretty strong, takes her into the shower and impales her head onto one of the spigots. And once again, you don't see it. And by the way, the showers, I don't know if you noticed, 
They just took pipes, yeah. cut the pipes off, and then pinched them. That's what the showers amount to. <laughs> and so John, having departed to go get beer back in the kitchen, right around the corner, he walks in, and he opens a fridge, and Dave's body's in the fridge, but he's not paying attention to them because he's talking to the two women over at the hot dog. And who find a heart. They're like, oh, these guys joking around. And they go, oh, it's just Howard playing a prank or something. I don't want no heart hot dogs. I know. <laughs> And then John goes back in, finds Sylvia dead, and comes unglued. In his expression, you realize, like, whatever the minor did was horrific. And he comes running back out. And then it jumps. I think it's such a strange scene. Because a chief, he had an inkling that something was going on in the mine. And he's about to stop at the mine, and he gets the call and hey! Eastfield. The mental hospital, they called, get back here to the office to take the call. And I'm thinking, no! No! Take a message! Like you're or, or Jason, how about this? Hey, Eastfield Hospital yeah. called. Um, Harry Warden died five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, but, why do you have to turn around? Because again, the mine isn't next door. Exactly. I, I'm, I just feel like the mine is outside of town. It is. Mines are, my understanding, mines are rarely in the town center. <laughs> exactly. It's a way. The chief, he doesn't say, well, what did they say? Because once again, he's trying to keep everything secret. So he's like, I got to go and take this call. Back at the station, so no one knows what's yeah, going on. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> the party gets kicked into high gear because Patty's like, we should go and take a tour of the mine since we're here. TJ says, supposed to be no women in the mine. And it's not the whole party that goes down there. I it's think a buzzkill. He's trying yeah. to be a buzzkill. It's, it's really Sarah, Patty, Howard, Hollis, and Michael and Harriet. And those are only six. The, the other group stays at the lunch. Like, and of course, you're going to have the couple that wants to split off. So they get down in the mine. Michael and Harriet are like, we're going to go over here, Hollis. And he says, meet me back here because we're going to leave soon. So Michael and Harriet sneak off into the engine room, apparently, where they meet their demise. Yes. And this is the climax of the movie where we're going to jump back and forth between the people up at the lunchroom. The pace really picks yeah, up at Really this picks up. Really shorter scenes. The people are taking the tour of the mine. And then the chief of police finally saying, you know what? We're going to have to rustle everybody up in the town and get to the mine because... <laughs> I love the posse. Gather the posse. Yeah, at this point, Gretchen finds Dave in the fridge. John bursts in. They killed Sylvia. And that's all hell breaks loose. Yep. And TJ goes, everyone get out. And then TJ finds that the phone lines have been cut. He tells Tommy to take John and get to the police. He also tells Axel, guess what? Sarah's in the mine with the others. So also Axel and TJ like, they're brothers again. I wanted them, like, to do like the manly handshake. Exactly. Like, we'll solve this yep. together. This, is, this situation will bring us together. But I love that Axel does get, he goes, if anything happens to her, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of your fault. But I like that he has to get that dig in. Yeah. And meanwhile, those guys are down in the mine. They're goofing around. They don't really know anything's going on upstairs. Then they would hear things. And all of a sudden you start like hearing glass break. And then you see, which is really a creepy situation. Because they don't see it. You see the miner breaking the lights. And once again, when I'm watching, I'm like, wait a second. Him and Axel were just at the top. How did See, he get that's down why there? I just, yeah, I just always thought it was Harry. And that is the moment. Hollis is playing yeah. everything off. It's just rats or sounds yeah. or something. When he hears that smashing, you see, you can tell Hollis suddenly realizes something ain't right here. Yeah. And he's trying to ma remain calm, but he says, let's get going. Of course, they have a couple that broke off, so they have to find Michael and Harriet. And Tommy and Gretchen and John finally get back to the chief of police back in the town center. Listen, Harry Ward started killing everyone in the mine. The chief's like, okay. He calls the station. He goes, round up every available man. Meet me at the mine. He doesn't mention that Harry Warren's down there. He just says, there's some trapped kids down there. Even to the very end, he's trying to keep everything tightly no, I, It makes no sense, especially at that point. You've yeah. got a major emergency. Yeah, exactly. They already know. The secret's out. And Hollis goes to find... Mike and Harry, yeah. he said they're in the engine room. So he goes to find them. Axel's up on some upper level. TJ finds those guys down on the lower level. So this made me yeah. sad. Was Hollis, was he finds... <laughs> Mike and Harriet, they were messing around, and the killer came with a giant drill and drilled right through them and left the drill bit. And he finds them, and he goes, oh, no. And then you see the killer gets him with a nail gun, and it doesn't kill him instantly, which just has to stink. Because he walked, stumbles out of the room and gives his friends a scare because they're all hiding. Howard is left to watch the girls, and he doesn't know his way around the mine. 
He kind of leaves the girls. Oh, he bails. <laughs> it's actually so brilliant, and I don't blame him. Patty, at this point, I would have left her because yeah, she's in she shock. Won't, she, yeah, she won't leave Hollis. They show the miner coming towards yeah. them, but then it goes after Howard. Yeah, because I think Axel doesn't want to kill Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Or, or he's waiting to kill Sarah at the very end. His game plan doesn't make he's a lot insane. of sense. He's insane. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but Patty is just, I don't want to leave my own. And, and Sarah's slapping her. Because that's always her. works. Oh, yeah. I learned from airplane. Yeah. That's how you resolve oh, issues I, with people I, or all in a I panic. Wanted, I wanted a line of people, like people with baseball bats and brass knuckles just punching Patty. Because she does. She just melts down. Axel shows up to save them. They think the miner's coming up He picks the up a large, yeah. And he swings, and he and clearly Axel knows that's not the miner, right? He knows he's going to hit somebody. He doesn't care. Yeah, and, and probably knows it's TJ. And exactly. He, and he just goes, I don't like you anymore. Yeah. You're such a jerk. You came back. You ruined it. Like he yeah. says, everything was cool until you came back. And he swings it and just right in the bread basket in, in terms of TJ. Well, and and I, he's like, I thought you were Harry. And like, like he's clearly lying. I know, but <laughs> what I love is TJ goes, do, do I look like Harry? Yeah. And it said, he didn't wait to see you. And we're, we're down now to... TJ and Axel, Sarah and Patty. Yep. That's who's always left at the bottom of the mine. Well, they're going to get in the elevator, get the hell out yeah, of there. Yeah, exactly. But TJ finds the elevator control panel has been smashed. So Axel's like, follow me up this ladder. It's a long climb. Yes. That would be daunting to me. Climbing that ladder up that high would test my nerve. Axel, knowing he's the killer, he's leading them astray because he's trying to show them where Howard's body is. Because they climb up, and then Howard's body gets dislodged. You can see that he's been hung by the miner. Let's climb back down now. TJ he, says that. Yeah. And I think he says it for a good reason, because he thinks, oh, the miner's Harry's up there. Up there. Yeah. The miner is <laughs> right there. there. And <laughs> Just Patty, a couple rungs above him. Patty is failing the whole time. She yeah. stops climbing. She's like, hate this, hate this. And Sarah's just yelling at her. So they get back down, and Axel has a shortcut. We want to go through the sump area. It's flooded with 60 foot of water. Axel plays the hero. He says, you guys go across. I'll come up afterwards just to keep watch. So TJ takes the girls across, and then he hears like a gurgling sound and a splash. And he goes back and looks, and Axel's gone. He just sees... There's a light in the water. Yeah. And, and Sarah's saying, help him, help yeah. him. And yeah. he goes, dude, it's 60 feet deep. What am I going to do? And then, of course, what you do in any slasher movie, any horror movie, you decide it's time to separate. <laughs> so <laughs> TJ's like, you guys go keep along this wall. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> and then the girls hear a cave-in, and there, there's no no TJ. And then the miner jumps out and pickaxes Patty right in the stomach. So they're <laughs> running down that little the tunnel with the, tra- the carts that go up and down. This is the big, big showdown. TJ gets Sarah, says, get into this little tr- line of carts. Of course, the miner jumps on the last cart. Kind of classic Scooby-Doo low moment. Like Indiana Jones are fighting on top of the cart. Yeah. I loved it. Before, they must have ripped it off. And Sarah proves herself pretty well. She's not the damsel in distress. TJ's fighting with a shovel. She picks the shovel up, helps him, gets it to him. And, of course, they they have to escape from the miner into a room marked Danger. They're fighting. It's back and forth. It's a it's a good final scene. And I finally realized, like, well, clearly TJ's not the miner at this point. <laughs> and then you think the miner has the upper hand, and Sarah comes in and pulls his mask off. And it's the big reveal. It's Axel. And you see immediately a flashback. And it goes back that when Harry Warden killed those two supervisors, one of those supervisors was Axel's dad, and he was underneath the bed and saw it all happen. So that traumatic event created a big part of who he was, and then Valentine's Day, apparently, when he gets so much older, kicks this off. So TJ then gets the upper hand, and it causes a cave-in, and it caves in on Axel. If people didn't understand that flashback, the mayor comes in and repeats the story. He says, Axel's the killer? Well, Axel was the son of the supervisor. And he witnessed, it, witnessed his dad get murdered by I thought Harry that was Ward. an odd cut. And it stays with the traditional slasher trope or horror movie trope. TJ and Sarah walk away, and they're letting now that the, the chief and all the men have caught up, that they're assuming he's dead because of the cave-in. But then someone sees the Ramina Rock, and they see an arm, and they're like, he's alive! Because, of course, you always have to have that villain like pop up one more time. Exactly. And so... 
Sarah says, I have to see him. So they go back into the room, the cave-in. And it's a weird... I wrote down that ending. It's a weird, creepy Whoa, ending. Oh, he's in there. It looks like his, he lost an arm. Yeah. It looks like Axel is there. You can't get to him. You can see yeah. him. He's in that tunnel. He <laughs> says, Henniger, I'll be waiting in hell for you. Harry, Harry, I'm coming. The whole effing town is going to die. We're coming back, you bastards. And then he laughs, and he's like, Sarah? Be my bloody Valentine. It's really a disturbing ending. It, Jason, it, I, it was a great ending. I thought that oh, was it, a great horrific horror movie ending. Set up so perfectly it, for a sequel that exactly. never came. And then you could hear him laugh and screaming. And then the credits roll, and they wrote that song for the movie called "The ba- Ballad of <laughs> Harry Warden." Warden. It's, it's a it's a decent little song. I gotta admit, I would put that on any like if you have a horror movie. You know, soundtrack. Playlist, yeah. Or, yeah, playlist. I would put that on. Absolutely. It would be an odd little thing. Suddenly, what is this? And you yeah. go, oh, you, you never watched My Bloody Valentine half a dozen times to get ready for a podcast. So let me ask you, do you recommend this movie? I do recommend this movie. You know, as we're preparing to do a B-movie slasher episode, and we're looking at all these different types of slasher movies, it's a little more unique. It has a distinct location. It's really well-characterized. Even though they removed the violent, most of the violent pieces, I think it's a good, horrific horror movie. It keeps me interested the whole time. Yeah, when you stand back and start analyzing it, there's little issues like, how could Axel have really been... I wholeheartedly would, would recommend this movie. What about yourself? Absolutely. I think it's a well-written. It's, there's, there's more thought put into the characters and the story. I think it was shot well. The settings were super cool. That mine was... Really, really interesting. Yeah, they did a great job. They did a bang-up job. I would be curious to see what they had initially had with the extra nine minutes. Yeah. I recommend this absolutely. It's a cool, scary movie that, compared to, to today's standards, this might be PG-13. It's a, It's got the balance. It's got ten deaths, five men, five women. I think it's a cool movie. I highly recommend it. There was a punk band, My Bloody Valentine, and it was like formed in 1983. And I always assumed that it was named after this movie. And I had to look it up to find an interview with David Conway, who was the lead vocalist for the band. And he said, no, it wasn't. And I just think that was really interesting because they formed 83. The movie came out 81. They said, no, they came with a couple of different names and they just threw this out there, but it had nothing to do with the movie. Is that a different band than the nineties? My bloody Valentine. No, that's the band. The they, same one. They, they formed, they formed in 1983. They're old punk band. Yeah. Like they kind of sound because like, because like the nineties stuff was not punk at all. Yeah. No. Turned into that. Like they went sound, to the emo kind of sound, which I love. Yeah. That's, because they sounded like, even though it was a punk band, navel gazing, they call it. Yeah. yeah it, they sounded like the cure. They sounded like, Birth, like Nick Cave's first band, The Birthday Party. And I always liked them. I always thought that it was, it was See, the it, 90s, related. Yeah, lovely. It's one of my favorite albums. I, I always assumed it was named after the... So did I. I'm still going to continue to believe that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, this strawberry rhubarb oh, wheat. Excellent. This is delightful. It this is. This is such a taste. Thank you beverage. so much, River Ridge Brewing. Yeah, thank you guys. I'll be back. I'll bring something back for you. I had a couple things there, but this was the first time I was able to get there and get their stuff. They've... I've heard about them, but I was never able to get down. So it was great visit, good people, great setting. Highly recommend. I held off on doing another lecture on Canada tax exempt movies of the eighties because I think I went on a little too much when we discussed the Ghost Keeper, another Canada movie. So we'll definitely link out to that episode. I found this great site called Canuck Exploitation. And it really focused on those movies that were made during that time period. And I'm thinking, that we might have to add you know, that onto our eventual special episode list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> about that. Yeah, episode 16, Ghost, The Ghost Keeper. Excellent. The, the Wendigo movie that we did. Yes. That's an interesting movie. But yes, you did talk about that. And I appreciate... <laughs> Not having a follow-up on it, so we could really get talk about this movie. A little bit of mining, moosehead. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, I think that, that about wraps this one up. Please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our website. This is BRB Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.
Sarah, my bloody love. <laughs>